Hey guys, this is Sean Mills with Hack My Homestead, and today is January 24th, 2023. Today we're going to talk a little bit about things to consider when you are evaluating raw land for purchase. So a lot of us in the freedom and homesteading communities like the idea of buying a raw piece of land and developing it, building a cabin in the woods, so to speak, or a chateau in the mountains, maybe. But uh, there's a lot of us that, that really like the idea of land ownership and the freedom that that provides. But the easiest way to, or maybe the most practical way to accomplish that is through buying raw land and then building it. Um, and so anyways, as someone who owns some raw land and has also bought land with houses on it, uh, on and off the grid and done some developing myself, I thought that I would just share some of my thoughts on things to think about um, when you're when you're evaluating a purchase. So the very first one is access. And the good thing about access is when you go visit a potential property that you want to buy, well, it's the first thing that you do. Uh, I'll give you an example. While I was out in eastern Tennessee this past weekend looking at some raw, undeveloped land, about 38 acres. And as far as I could tell, about five of it's <laughs> readily, easily accessible. Uh, and the entire rest of the property would need to be pretty extensively developed because it's steep. Uh, you would need to have some switchbacks and uh, the the type of access that you would need to put into that property would most likely prevent you from getting things like big uh, concrete trucks into the property or even getting a big flatbed truck for a lumber delivery. So in that situation, while access could be figured out, even, you know, just to get something in where your driveway is not going to wash out every time it rains because it's too steep would probably require the type of access that would preclude you from building higher up on the property unless you did a lot of the work by hand uh, or if it was concrete work, you might have to have the concrete pumped up if you didn't want to just bring bags of concrete and a mixer running off of a generator. So access is definitely something to consider, particularly if it's something that you're going to, you know, eventually want to build on. Uh, because if you can't get big trucks in there, then you've got to do all the work of a big truck with small trucks slash trailers slash, you know, carrying things or four-wheelers and stuff like that. So access is a big deal. You want to look at the slope and the aspect of the property. Uh, properties that are very steep are typically cheaper but that's because, again, they cost more to develop. Now, the good thing about a steep property is it can provide some really nice views for you. Um, you know, depending on where it is, a steep property, if you can get about halfway up that property, uh, you can, you can you know, clear a little bit of land below um, the structure you're going to build and, and provide yourself with some really nice views. The other good thing about steep property or at least sloped property is you can attempt to collect water higher up on the property and gravity feed it down to where the dwelling is or where a garden is or animals are, things like that. So while too much slope is a bad thing, 
no slope is a bad thing as well. And honestly, I'd rather have some slope to have to design my property around than to have none at all. Um, when I mentioned the views, you know, the feel of the property, you know, when you go out to the property, does it feel like home? I think a lot of people fall in love with the idea of owning a property and don't spend as much time as they should determining whether or not they really like the property when they go out there. I've heard of people buying significant pieces of property without ever even visiting. And, and unless it's a property that you think you're going to be able to flip if you don't like it, where you're getting just such a great deal that you can almost can't afford not to buy it, I would definitely be in the camp of you need to go out, you need to visit the property, walk it, um, see how you feel. Does it feel like home? Does it feel like a place that you're going to want to go back to after you leave? Another thing you need to be thinking about is water. So does the property have water on it? Can you get water to the property? Can you, is the property in a place where there's enough rainwater where you can collect uh, water if you don't have any subsurface water? Um, is there, you know, is, does the land set up in a certain way that you could potentially create some surface level storage? So, so ponds and swales and things like that. Uh, does there tend to be a lot of erosion on the property? So is it a property where it's at the very top of a slope, which means all of your topsoil and all your fertility is not going to be there. It's going to be blown and or washed down to the lower elevations. Uh, those are things to think about. How do we get water for the people? And then how do we prevent water from being a destructive force on the property? And we talked a little bit about it being flat versus sloped. Um, you do want to try to find a flat place to build on. Now, the reality is, is that depending on the type of soil, you might be able to create a flat space through, you know, digging into a hill a little bit and taking that dig and pushing it out a little bit and giving yourself a flat place to build. I'm personally someone that thinks that most of us have way more space than we actually need and that we'd all be better off financially if we would build what we need with a view towards being out of debt instead of trying to get into multi-thousand square foot houses and paying for them over a 30-year period. But having a flat place to build uh, can definitely help with your construction costs. So if you're if it's a totally raw piece of property, um, hopefully with a little bit of slope to it, uh, maybe you can find a flat spot that's easily accessible and then that gets you something that you could potentially live in very easy. And then speaking of living in things, are there any existing structures on the property? So here in the United States, at least most of the properties I've seen, they're either developed or they're not. You don't have a lot of property that has been developed and has just fallen into disrepair. But you can occasionally find a property that may have previously had a structure on it that burnt down or a mobile home that's been pulled off. Uh, and those can really be a diamond in the rough because you'll typically already have utilities. So you'll have access to the property. You'll have electricity. You'll have water potentially. You might even have a septic tank in the ground. 
And so all of those things can present value for you as you're developing that property that you don't have to go out and A, get the permits, B, find a contractor, C, pay those contractors with after-tax money, which means you need to make 25, 30% more than your cost to be able to uh, you know, afford to pay that contractor to do the work. Uh, if all those things are there, it makes it a bit easier to do the um, the uh, the build because infrastructure's in place. And then, you know, as we're talking about infrastructure, you know, do you have the ability to put solar? Do you have the ability to collect the rainwater? Uh, if you're building in the middle of a forest, how much forest are you going to need to cut down to have a building site? to be able to get some solar generation if you're not going to pay to get power run there, if there's not power already on the property. You know, those are things that you want to be thinking about. The reality is, is that, you know, 10 years ago, you could buy raw, undeveloped land and a lot of times get a really great deal on it if there wasn't already water and power. Well, the problem, maybe it's not a problem, but that land has become a little bit more expensive now because... A lot of people have figured out, hey, wait a minute, solar's pretty cheap. And as long as it rains enough in the area to where I can collect rainwater, I don't even need to have subsurface water. And so those properties that used to go for next to nothing because no one wanted them, uh, well, in 2020, when people started really looking at moving out of those cities, uh, those kinds of properties became a lot more valuable. So I think over the next few years, you'll see that trend reverse. I think that you'll see the um, the rural uh, raw land um, come back down to earth in terms of what people are willing to sell it for. There's a lot of that land that is a burden to the people that own it. All it is is a tax bill every year, and you know you catch those people in the right mood, and, and sometimes you can get that um, that property picked up for pretty cheaply. Uh, but we we are having to deal with about a three-year period of those prices being bid up by a lot of cash buyers who are exiting big cities. Uh, the other thing you want to think about as we talk about potential existing structures on the property, you know, and even a structure that maybe the roof has fallen in, if the walls and the foundation are in good shape, um, you know, if it's a brick house or maybe there's uh, some some well houses or something like that on the property that are built out of cinder block, at least it's a start. At least it's something that you can get going, something that you can potentially make it a little bit more comfortable for yourself as you're developing the rest of the property. Um, but one of the things to think about as we talk about existing structure is what is the history of the property? Uh, particularly what is the family history of the property? Is this a property that used to be owned by grandpa that everyone in the family had access to would go out and hunt or drive four wheelers on. And then grandpa died and he didn't do a great job of taking care of, uh, his will. And, and now you've got 17 grandkids that all own the property and, they can't decide on what they want to do, and so they're going to split it up and sell it, or they can't pay the taxes, and, and you know they're going to sell pieces of it off but keep other pieces. We looked at a property in uh, western Tennessee years ago, probably 2012, and it was the last piece of the original family farm. Now, the property was fantastic, 50 acres, two ponds. There was a tobacco shed on the property, a house. The house needed work. But it was, you know, we could have lived in the house while we worked on it. 
the property was just tons and tons of potential. You had multiple fields. I think there was a guy that was actually haying one of the lower fields and paying for that. And the reality is, is that had the seller been willing to take a reasonable offer, I would probably live on that property today. Unfortunately, because it was the last piece of the family property that she grew up on and all the other pieces had been sold off over the years, she had a number in her head and she was not going to take a penny less than it. It doesn't matter what the inspection stated. It didn't matter. All that mattered was if I'm leaving, this is what I'm getting and not a penny less. Now, we found out that two years after our offer was essentially turned down, you know, they did respond, but the respond was asking price, no concessions. Um, we don't care about your inspection, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, two years after our price was turned down, she accepted our price from another uh, seller. So I don't know if she had gotten to the point by then where she had to leave the property. She couldn't stay there anymore uh, or what the specifics were, but, um, we would have really liked to have that property, but that's one where, you know, the family history is important. If the rest of the family farm, um, you know, everyone was used to going out and hunting every year and, you know, are they going to stop just because some guy that they don't know bought it? Maybe, hopefully, but maybe not. And that's something that you need to be, um, aware of, you know, and talking about the history of the property that same year after that deal fell through the house that we did buy, the original off-grid homestead, we bought it and and found out later that the guy <laughs> that we bought it from had been growing marijuana on his and uh, on his next-door neighbor's property and had gotten busted, um, was selling it out of the house. And look, I don't care what anyone does. You know, it's their business, what they do, what they put in their body. But, you know, when we live in the house and Several months after we've moved there, people are showing up at three in the morning looking for their weed dealer. Um, you know, that was something I would have liked to have known and at least been prepared for um, before we bought the property. Uh, there was also a man killed on our property at one point. And so, you know, that just it's one of those things where it's just something that you need to know because that could be a potential, you know, uh, pain point for other people in the neighborhood that you don't know about. So what's the history of the property? Um, a lot of times you'll get a property that's out in the middle of nowhere and it's been owned by some guy for 50 years and he's never been there and no one else in his family really even knows that he has it other than he's paying $125 a year in taxes for it. And after, you know, 50 years, that tax bill goes up to 200 bucks and he's had it and that's the end of it. And he's going to unload this thing. And, and so you don't run into any, um, you know, anyone else that thinks that they've got a right to be on the property, whether they own it or not. So, um, and then the last piece there is, you know, is it in an area where there's jobs, you know, can you get the type of infrastructure in the, that geography to, to work from home, uh, those are two big components right now because a lot of people are looking at not necessarily wanting to live in the city, right? But that doesn't mean they don't have to still make money to pay for their lives. And so uh, can you get internet where you are? If if you can't get cable internet or fiber internet, can you get Starlink or 
HughesNet or Viasat uh, as an as a viable alternative, so that someone could potentially work from home. Or, you know, is it close? Is it thirty to forty five minutes away from a major city where someone could get a job and and commute in? You know, those are things to think about. They may not be important for you, but if you were ever in a situation after you've dumped your heart and soul into developing this property that you really needed to sell it for whatever reason, you have a great opportunity to move somewhere else, you're ready to go from your five-acre property to your 20-acre property, whatever the case may be, you need to have an exit plan. You need to be able to sell that. And so, you know, the one of the, the biggest reasons why a portion of our country is undeveloped, you know, if you look at the, the plains and particularly the western plains right up against the Rocky Mountains, uh, it's one of the most undeveloped places in the country. One percent or so of the population lives in that 15 percent or so of the land mass. And the reason primarily is jobs. OK, there hasn't ever been any real development in those areas to create jobs uh, where people actually want to go there. So the only people that don't land out there and I'm one of them uh, is people that want to get away from things, you know, so. Uh, if there was ever a problem in Tennessee, which I think is one of the more free states out there, um, I've got a place in Texas that I could always go to. It's in West Texas, so it's the desert, um, and there's not a whole lot going on out there. But it's it's a place where you know we did all of these evaluations, and most of them you would check off has a negative. Access isn't great. Hardly any water. It's there's no existing structure. There's no real good history. Uh, you know, it's flat. Um, the views are fantastic, though, and it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's in the largest county in the state of Texas, which has one uniformed officer. It also butts right up against the Rio Grande River, which means that um, you've got the potential threat of, um, you know, immigrants coming through the property. Now, my, what I've been told is most of them – don't have a problem. They're trying to get from point A to point B, and and that's perfectly fine with me. I don't care where where people go. That's their business as long as they're not messing up my stuff. But it's also something to think about that when you're seven miles from the international border in the largest county in the state of Texas and there's one sheriff and no deputies, well, you need to be a good neighbor. You need to um, understand the things to look for. You need to understand what the history of the area is and be willing to be okay with all that stuff. So we were, and we decided to move forward with it. And if we ever meet some people passing through on their way to um, a better life, then we'll shake their hand and give them a bottle, bottle of water and see if we can help them find a ride to get out of the desert. So uh, just a few things, like I said, to think about my little ramble here at the uh, end of the day. And uh, something I wanted to share. Tomorrow, my plan is we're going to get back into uh, solar. We'll probably talk about panels tomorrow. And uh, we'll close the week out talking about inverters, charge controllers, and balances system. And uh, maybe next week we'll do a show on kind of tying all that together and making a you know fully functional off-grid solar system and how a few small modifications could make that a hybrid system that was also tied to the grid. And then we'll also next week, since we're getting to the end of January, we'll 
beginning of February, we're going to start talking about getting ready for the spring uh, gardening season. So thanks for joining me today. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at hackmyhomestead.com, and I'll talk to you next time.